You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Coming here on an instant pod reaction uh, right after Florida State got an ACC tournament semifinal win over North Carolina. Uh, that that gives – if this were a baseball season, uh, that gives Florida State the, uh, the season series win over the Tar Heels. A uh, bit of a weird game. We'll get into that. Uh, Michael, as always, I'm joined by Michael Rogner here on the Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated Podcast. Uh, Michael, just – how how have you been liking the just the conference tournaments in general though like the ACC tournament um, how, how have they been run? Um, well, I've been excited to see them. I've been excited to watch the games. the 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 disconnect between conferences and the NCAA is a little jarring. You know, having setting up the tournaments to kind of you know COVID teams right out of the NCAA tournament is is a problem. Um, the ACC in particular having Duke riding a bus back and forth from, from COVID land to, to the tourney is a problem. Uh, yeah, but nothing's going to come of it. The, the, you know, the NCAA is going to be running the NCAA tournament regardless, making a bunch of money doing, you know, they need, they need it. And, uh, you know, the conference is kind of the same way they needed the money. So they, you know, to be fair, they only had a, a one year to figure out how to do this right. And, <laughs> and, you know, it's, that, that's, pre- that's pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just about a year. Uh, and you're right. I've, I've heard a couple of people say or, or seen things about like, can't they just, you know, push it off, push the tournament off, let, let people get vaccinated or whatnot. And I, I honestly, I'm not quite sure why some of these folks haven't already uh, been vaccinated. A lot of states are vaccinating uh, educators and coaches, K-12, you know, people, but that's, that's a, another discussion for another time. The tournament is absolutely happening and it's absolutely starting next week. I can't imagine uh, the, log- the logistical nightmare it would be 
to uh, try to get, you know, what, probably 15 different hotels that are, that have been essentially like completely booked out for these specific week. I mean, you got to bring in probably like 4,000 players and staff uh, the first weekend. Now, of course, half of them are going to go home uh, after the second day, but I, there's not, they're not going to change the tournament. Uh, and yeah, it is odd to see, well, odd, maybe um, really, really dumb uh, to, to see the ACC allow one of the programs to drive back and forth from a, well, first of all, just to leave the, the, the site of the tournament anyways, why, why bring unnecessary risk, but to drive back and forth uh, to a campus that was acknowledging, like knowingly having a COVID breakout, which Duke University is, and, and it is continues to be as, as they are unable to control their fraternities from having in-person rush parties and, and uh, COVID outbreak in the facility in which the basketball and football team lives. That is a curious decision. Michael, just curious, if you were the Virginia athletic director, I mean, would you be... I guess demanding some answers on that. Absolutely, but you know who's who is going to challenge Duke in any meaningful way. You can you can yell and scream and wave your arms all you want, but at the end of the day, it's the ACC, it's Duke, it's Coach K. It's you know no, there's nothing going to come of it. Coach K is a is a, you know pretty well known um, asshole, and and you know to to be as selfish as he was to have his team do that is just ridiculous but you know again you know nothing's going to come of it it's it's fine let's just hope that florida state you know makes it to the 11 a.m deadline or whatever time it is tomorrow to, to have all their testing done and uh you know is that able to actually play in the in the tournament final yeah and like you said at this point in life you expect coach k to kind of be the arrogant prick uh i i mean i am not surprised at all that he would say oh well i'd like my team to sleep in their own beds and i'd like my team to be able to be as much normalcy as possible and let's go back and you know let's stay in durham i i would have maybe expected somebody in the league office to say uh, you know, that's no, all the teams are staying in Greensboro. So if, if you want to participate in the tournament, then you have to like all the other teams, including Wake Forest, that is actually like 15 minutes from Greensboro in Winston-Salem there, uh, stay in Greensboro. Um, that That is perplexing to me. But it, like you said, let, let's hope that Florida State makes it to the deadline. And, you know, you, you could just see probably Josh Passner there. I was joking today. Like he's probably got guards outside of every single one of his guys' rooms, just hoping like, you know, seeing if there's a way that somebody else can cancel and give, give Georgia tech the, the automatic qualification into the NCAA tournament. Um, but speaking, speaking of the AC, like the automatic qualification, Florida state will now play for that automatic qualification for um for the second time in a row that the tournament is being held, uh, they, they played for it in 2019. Um, and for the, that's correct, right? Is it, am I? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they played okay. Duke. Yeah, that's right. They played Duke in 2019, lost in the finals. They actually were awarded uh, the automatic qualification last year. So, so Florida state did in fact um, make the NCAA tournament last year after, after being given the automatic qualification uh, and now, again, they'll play for it here uh, for the second time in, in three years. 
and it'll be against Georgia Tech. And how they got there was by beating for the second time this season a very talented, very big North Carolina Tar Heels team. Uh, you know, similar story from game two, Florida State got out to a bit of a double-digit lead there, and it looked like UNC was going to kind of take control just like in the game two up in Chapel Hill, but Florida State fought back this time. Uh, were, were you expecting that? I was not expecting that. I was expecting Florida State to just fold like a wet blanket. And, uh, you know, luckily they did not. They really, they really showed me that they were able to grind out a win. You know, this is, this is pretty much a classic Leonard Hamilton win of you get down, you get punched in the mouth, but you just keep fighting one possession at a time. You know, you take, you take on the personality of your coach, who is a very calm you know, uh, demeanor on the sideline and you just, you just, you just wait it out and you play one possession at a time and, and you, and you grind out the win. It's, it's, it's kind of been a while since Florida state has done that against a good team. You know, most of, most of our wins over good teams this year were, were, you know, the game was over with five minutes to go. So it was, it was refreshing to, to see that happen. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I did not think that Florida state was going to win this game, even, you know, at halftime when we had an 11 point lead. Yeah, it, it reminded me a little bit of, of maybe like the, the 2012 team, um, just, you know, just grinding it out, like you said, uh, pretty much the, ent- the last, what, maybe 12 minutes of the game. I don't think either team led by more than, you know, we'll call it five, five-ish points. Um, neither team, I would say, shot all that well. I, you know, Florida State definitely shot better than UNC, UNC, uh, I believe you noted that they had their worst, uh, second worst two-point percentage of the season. Uh, they were held under a point per possession for just the first time, I think, in the last seven or eight ACC games. Um, and, and Florida State d- did not score a point per possession either. It was less about Florida State shooting. I mean, they shot about their season average from three, uh, about their season average from the free throw line. You know, once again, the turnovers, uh, 25% of their possessions, Florida State turned it over. A third of those turnovers were by senior MJ Walker. That's not ideal. A lot of them were not even really forced turnovers. They were uh, guys looking at each other as a ball sailed out of bounds and a miscommunication. And so that really prevented Florida State from building what probably could have been a 15 to 18 point lead. But, but they, they, they kind of overcame all that. Anthony polite made a huge corner three. That's what he does is make corner threes. And then you got, you know, you got Balsa and Raekwon who were just both really nice uh, and versatile games from those two. Yeah. And if you, if you go back to that, to the first half when we were able to build up that lead, the, which should have been much bigger. Um, Raekwon Evans played five minutes and then was auto sat by ham because he had two fouls. Um, and uh, Scotty Barnes played 10 minutes. So that, that left that left five minutes where neither Scotty Barnes or Raekwon Evans was on the floor. I think they actually played together a little bit too, so it was more than five minutes. And we had Anthony Polite running the point. Um, Gray ran the point a few possessions, and it was a total disaster. Uh, that, was, that was when uh, North Carolina was not scoring. We were playing a pretty high-level defense, and we were not able to stretch the lead just because we couldn't do anything in half-court sets. And – you know, so a, a little bit of that first half, I, I, I put on Ham for his his ridiculous, uh, uh, you know, 
penchant for for benching anybody with two fouls. But and how many fouls did Raquan Evans end up with? Just curious. Yeah, let's 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 uh, let's let's go to the box two. score here. It's two. Yeah, I it's can two. tell you the number. It's two. <laughs> All right. All right. And he, and you know, Raquan Evans is not going to get you a bunch of points. He's not going to he's not going to you know get to ten rebounds or eight assists or any of that stuff. But one thing that he can do is he can get FSU in and out of of half court sets so that when we're not able to to get out and run. You know, it's he's he's a he's a you know very undervalued player on this roster. Certainly not a star, but we you know we we need him running the point in a semifinal game rather than Anthony Polite, and and you know that's a pretty easy call. Second second half, and you know, and also in the first half, we should you know probably single out Balsha just to start this thing rolling. You know, that was the best game he has played at Florida State, and UNC is the perfect team for him to play against. Yeah. You know, these 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 seven footers kind of come into college and they're soft, they're awkward. You know, they they're, they, uh, you know, be, being a foot taller than everybody all your life doesn't really breed somebody who wants to stand out. You know, so a lot of, so it takes it takes a while for these seven footers to, to develop. And against UNC, which is very physical, boss is an emotional player, so so it kind of riles them up, got them mad. Um, and he delivered, you know, he had some huge blocks. He had a double, double, he, he, uh, you know, probably should have scored more. He, he, he blew a couple layups when he could have just dunked the ball, but, but he was, he was huge. And, you know, probably the number one reason that Florida State won this game. Yeah. You know, Balsha was honestly, and I don't think he would even be, you know, mad at me saying this. I think he'd say the same thing. Balsha was punked a little bit up in Chapel Hill by Walker Kessler. Um, you know, walk, let's, Walker Kessler is a five-star possible one-and-done uh, recruit. I, I don't know if, you know, Roy is doing the old uh, rope-a-dope where he just doesn't give some of his five-star freshmen a lot of minutes, kind of keeps them under wraps in hopes of having five-star sophomores and five-star juniors. Uh, we've seen that in Chapel Hill a number of times. But, you know, he, he certainly has the length, the foot quickness, the uh, basketball IQ, the ability – to be an NBA draft pick. And, and frankly, he, he punked the entire FSU team up in Chapel Hill. Um, and it looked to me from the jump, like Balsha took that personally. And I mean, Walker Kessler was non-existent in this game. He didn't even play 10 minutes. I think he had two points. Uh, he, he was not a factor in the game. And, and even, um, you know, even Dayron Sharp wasn't, Real, I mean, he, he had a few rebounds, but it, it, that's another five-star, 6'11", 270-pound freshman that was just not really a factor in the game. And a lot of that is because of Mr. Ken Palm MVP, uh, Balsha Koprovica, and his, and his double-double. I, you're right. I, you know, you mentioned how we could have extended the lead in the first half except for that stretch of, uh, of polite and Walker turnovers. There was also a couple of missed easy bunnies there that maybe the lead at halftime could have been 13, 14, 15. Um, but aside from, from what, a couple of layups that rimmed out, Koprovica was the best player in the basketball game. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it was good to see, you know, like you said, he kind of got punked and to see, see him come back and get a little personal vendetta against, uh, you know, maybe the best front line in college basketball uh, as a group. Um, you know, that, that, that was fun to see, um, you know, who else, who else played really well. It's, it's hard to single out anybody offensively. Polite had a huge shot. Uh, Calhoun had a huge shot. 
Um, Osborne's three is in the first. I mean, Osborne's three at the end of the first half <laughs> yeah. is is actually the difference in the game, the score difference yeah. in the game, right? So Osborne's three point shooting in the first half was nice. He kind of kind of disappeared a little in the second half, but I think that's more about um, Scotty and and uh, bullshit and Gray kind of stepping up in the second half. Yeah, that's probably the best shot Malik's hit, you know, in his in his college career. So so kudos to him. So there so there were a lot of individual moments which which were which were great, but no nobody really stands out, you know, out, outside of Balsha. And I and I think that the if when you look at the box score, it's going to kind of reflect that in the offense. You know, we we didn't score a ton com- compared to how many possessions this game was. I think it was a sixty nine or seventy possession game, and you know we scored sixty nine. Um, but we held a pretty good offense, you know, to below a point possession. And so to the, the game ball, if it's not going to go to ball shit, it needs to go to the defense, which for all of the first half and the last 10 minutes of the second half was really connected and, and just on point and doing what FSU defenses do. Um, we, can, we can throw out that, ten, that, sec, that 10 minutes coming out of halftime because FSU won. We don't have to bag on guys too much for that. It was it was bad all the way around, but but yeah, it was good to see. And uh, you know, super thrilled to be playing Georgia Tech in the next game. And and before we get to uh, Georgia Tech, I, it, to me, where I think the difference for me in the game two in Chapel Hill versus this one, aside from maybe the the Seminoles exhibiting a little bit more mental toughness, um, they were able in the second half when North Carolina did come out uh, just like in game two and, and hit a couple threes, you know, had a couple there was a couple 50, 50 balls that bounced their way. And, and you even heard the crowd get into it a little bit. Um, I, what the difference was is that in that game, really nobody put a, no one put a body on anybody on the, on the defensive glass. I think at one point in that game, UNC was rebounding absurd, like 72% of their, of their misses uh, they didn't end up that it probably was ended up closer to 55 or 60, but still just an absurd amount. And, and this game, uh, yeah, Bolsha had the double double, like he said, but other guys were, were rebounding too. Scotty Barnes was mixing it up in there and using his length to either grab rebounds or, or deflect rebounds so that they couldn't just be tapped right back in, you know, in volleyball style, Anthony polite had seven rebounds. Uh, he, he did exactly what you have come to expect from big guard. You, you know, Derwin kitchen, Trent forest, Jason, rich, Tim pick, all those guys were good rebounding guards. And, and Anthony polite did exactly what a, a rebounding guard needs to do at Florida state. Um, something that you, you'd like to see a little bit more maybe from some of the other guards. Uh, but uh, gray got in there and grabbed five, rebounds all on the defensive side and and what that ended up being was that unc only grabbed 42 percent of their misses and even that is probably skewed because mr bolsa had four blocks several of which went out of bounds and college basketball stupidly counts those as offensive rebounds so in terms of rebounds that they actually grabbed the ball on it was probably more like 35 36 percent of their shots and that's just a huge difference from the last time out versus unc yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. The 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 rebounding in this game was was just night and day compared to the last one. It was we did a good job rebounding the first time we around against North Carolina and we did a good job this time. It's 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 hard to look at the box score and say, "Oh, North Carolina rebounded 42%." 
um, you know, of, of their misses. Florida State did such to such a good job. But if, if you look at North Carolina's season, that's their average, you know. So uh, uh, Florida State, which is has some defensive rebounding issues because of the because of the scheme we play, um, you know, to hold to hold them to their average in a in a in a winner go home game. That, 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 that was good. Well, and, and it's yeah exa- to your point at the end there, it's their average and this is a winner go home game, right? So, I mean, yeah, sure. That's their average over the season, but that includes, you know, games where maybe they're not, you know, North Carolina central or something. They're not even really kind of going out there and stuff. And so I, I looked up the last time we played them, they rebounded 52.6% of their misses uh, their game against Syracuse after that, 56.5% of their misses. The first game of this ACC tournament against Notre Dame, 61% of their misses. So for Florida State to get that number down to at 42, and, and again, that's it factoring in several offensive, quote, you know, air quotes here, offensive rebounds where it was really just a swatted shot out of bounds, that, that is what Florida State needs to do on the defensive glass Uh in games against teams like North Carolina. Um. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. All right. So they got the win moving on playing Georgia tech in the, in the ACC tournament finals. Uh, So the the winner, this is because Georgia tech, you know, Florida state advanced to the semifinals. Thanks to um, the, the forfeiture by, by Duke after their arrogant, um, busing to Durham and back situation. And then uh, Georgia Tech beat Miami to get to the semifinals, but then in the semifinals, they advanced to the finals due to the unfortunate forfeiture by UVA. I think a lot of folks might have been uh, thinking about a Florida State UVA rematch uh, between the top two teams in the league. Instead, it's going to be Georgia Tech, uh, a team that started off the year about as poorly as you can. I think they lost, uh, they lost back-to-back games to start the year against, uh, I want to say Georgia state. Yep. And Mercer uh, that of course came after coach Josh Pastner decided to go contactless practice in the preseason um, back in the fall. And, and the, but really since probably early January, Georgia tech has been playing like a top uh, 18 team in the country. Yeah, they've been they've been playing well, and and uh, they they haven't had the opportunity to show it in the ACC tournament because all they've played is is a 13 seed, and they didn't they didn't exactly blow them out. Um, but for sure, for sure, if you look at the ACC teams that are that have turned it on late in the in the uh, season, you know Georgia Tech is pretty much at the top of that list. I mean, they've won, uh, Michael, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games in a row coming into this final. Now, I think worth worth noting that um, three of those seven wins are against Miami and Wake Forest, um, two of the bottom teams in the conference. 
only only one was against a top half team, uh, and that is Virginia Tech. They beat Virginia Tech by 16 points on the road uh, back on February 23rd. Uh, but they are they're clearly playing well. Uh, I think they're in the NCAA tournament regardless of whether they win or lose. So I don't think it's like a, a, you know, I mean, it's winner go home in the sense that the winner wins the ACC tournament, but I don't think either team is playing for their NCAA tournament lives. Um, but they, they are a challenge because of the, uh, the emergence of ACC player of the year, Moses Wright. Yeah, this is, I know we talked about this back when, probably when we were doing one of the previews for, for the Georgia Tech game. But, you know, Moses Wright, I thought he was going to break out and kind of have a big year last year as a junior. But he has definitely had that season as a senior. And he is, you know, dominant on on, on both sides of the floor. And he's, you know, 6'9", 230. He can, he can drive the ball. He can, you know, he's just he's – a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a matchup uh, problem. Um, and in the, the – uh, the first game that, that Florida State played, or the, the, the game that they beat Florida State, um, he had, what, like 23 points and, and seven boards or something. Yeah, he was the Ken Palm um, MVP and played 38 yeah. minutes. Yeah, and then the, the first game he didn't have, you know, he didn't have quite a, he, I think he fouled out, um, you know, after scoring, you know, 12 points or something. So, uh, but yeah, he, he, he is a, a legitimate stud um, you know, he had just in recent games, he had 31 points and, and 16 boards against Syracuse. He had 29 points and 14 boards against Duke. He had 26 points and, you know, 10 rebounds against Virginia Tech. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's the real deal. And, and whatever game planning we can do tomorrow to get ready for, ready for Georgia Tech, it, a lot of it's going to focus around Moses Wright. Yeah, and, and I, I wonder if the game plan – I mean, you know, you can say this about every big guy, but he, he does some, I mean, he is an aggressive shot blocker. He, he is, I mean, he's just an aggressive player. And, and to, frankly, that has been part of this, this coming, coming out party for him is him kind of finding his, his footing, so to speak. But I'm wondering if maybe you, you see if you could get, go right at him early with, with either a Raekwon Gray, a Scotty Barnes, even a Raekwon Evans, and, and see if maybe you can just get, get one or two fouls early on him. Yeah, Balsha has uh, had two kind of mixed games against Georgia Tech. He was really good in one and not so good in the other. Um, so, so he's certainly an option. And then one thing I was hoping to see more tonight was uh, Scotty Barnes in the post, which we did not see at all. Um, you know, after he, you know, what it, whatever we did in the second half against Notre Dame was because Scotty Barnes was playing in the post. And I, and I think this, uh, this team gives him another opportunity to, to do a lot of work in there because they have, they have no big guys. They've got, you know, Moses Wright, who's 6'9", and that's it. Got, they've got a, a sophomore who barely plays who's who's 610 um so I, I would love to see scotty being that guy maybe to to take on moses right because he's just he's 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 such a tough guard down in the post not that he has a ton of moves but he's just he's so long and and quick off the floor um you know that he can also often just you know volleyball the, the ball to himself if he misses it and you know that 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 just builds up opportunities to you know draw fouls from, from, from the other team. So if, if Moses Wright gets into foul trouble, Georgia Tech is in, is in serious trouble. 
Yeah, and the other the, the other guy that can is kind of double-edged sword for them is uh, Jose Alvarado. He he's actually he's their senior point guard. He is the uh, so Moses Wright won ACC Conference Player of the Year. Jose Alvarado may, uh, won Conference Defensive Player of the Year, and you know he's someone who, when he's on the court for them, really is a game changer uh, at both on both sides. I mean, he's what you want a senior point guard to be. And he's that kind of point guard that gives Florida state fits because he's small enough and quick enough to kind of be a matchup problem. If we, you know, end up switching out on, on him and he can kind of get, get into the teeth of our defense and then either draw a foul or kick out, uh, to, to a shooter like DeVoe. But they similarly, when, when he either is off the court for an injury purpose, he, he sprained his ankle uh, in, the, in the win over Miami, or, or if just he's having one of those off games, Georgia Tech kind of struggles because they don't really have someone else, kind of like Moses Wright, they don't really have another player on the roster that can kind of play that role. Yeah, they're, they're, they need him to play 35-plus minutes. Um and you know it's a shame that they didn't play today because uh, they they certainly would have played. You know him and Moses Wright probably would have played thirty five plus minutes along with with Michael Devoe and and whoever would have won that game between Georgia Tech and Virginia. I mean I I think that we definitely would have beat Virginia. Um, Georgia Tech's a little bit more up in the, up in the air because the few matchup problems. But but so they they got that day to get 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 their legs back. Um, Jose Alvarado banged his knee against Miami and, and, uh, you know, he's got, he's this guy, he's, he's got a lot of XRM in him. You know, I remember every, every time XRM hit the floor, it looked like they had to call an ambulance, mm-hmm. you know, Jose Alvarado is the same way, but, um, you know, they'll, the, they'll talk about how tough he is, even though he's, uh, he gets carried off the floor and then is right back on. So, you know, whatever, uh, the, he, he's a, he wants to win as much or more than any player out on the floor. And that's, that's the part of the game you got to respect. Um, you know, he's, he's just, a, he's, he's just a killer competitor. Um, you know, one thing that I've complained about uh, Florida state a little bit this year is that there's too many good guys on this team. Like we need some killers and uh, Jose Alvarado definitely fits that description. Yeah. Jose Alvarado uh, from a, not, not necessarily from a skill standpoint, but from a, mental uh the way he plays basketball kind of reminds me of tony douglas um may, maybe maybe a trent forest um you know a michael snare just that there's no there's not a second that they're on the court that they're not doing whatever is needed to get to get the win uh so you always like having guys like that on your team from Florida state's offensive point of view. So they're going against a Georgia tech team that throws a lot of different defenses at you. Josh Pastner has always kind of been known for that. He'll, they'll, they'll throw a matchup zone and just really kind of just kind of throw junk at you to kind of knock you off your rhythm. Uh, I, I think in the past, it, it has been somewhat effective against Florida state, but, but honestly, and, and you know, I, I don't mean to kind of oversimplify sim- things here, but from the last couple of years, when Florida state makes shots against Georgia tech, it, it, they seem to have an okay time running their offense. And when the shots aren't going in um, you know, then obviously they struggle. And, and that was certainly true this year. They played twice. The first game was in the Tucker center where Florida state is, is the best three point shooting team on the planet. 
Um, and Florida State, I believe, was about 50% from three in that game, uh, something around eight for 16 or so. The second game, uh, so and that was a double-digit Florida State win. The second game against Georgia Tech uh, up in Atlanta was uh, one of the worst offensive performances of the season for Florida State, and, and it was a game in which they shot three for 14 from three. Um, so I, I hate to kind of – be, be that guy but is it just as simple as if florida state comes out and makes shots if, if polite maybe gets two threes calhoun knocks down a couple mj goes three for five you would expect a florida state win i think that's half of it um the uh, ham has never had a problem kind of getting good good looks against josh passner teams um uh, obviously you got to make the shots in the first game we shot 47 percent um, in the second game, we were three for 14. So uh, certainly making shots helps, but turnovers, man. It's like Georgia Tech forces a lot of turnovers, and I think we turned it over on 29% of our possessions in that second game. And we saw that again tonight against North Carolina. It's like this team can just cannot figure out how to value the ball, cannot get in sync um, for what is otherwise a super impressive offense. Um, so if, if – if we shoot, you know, just average like we did tonight, um, but take care of the ball, then Florida State's going to be cutting down nets. Um, if, if 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 this is another turnover fest, then man, I I, I don't want to see Jose Alvarado going full speed the other way when our when our defense is scrambling to get caught up. So what you're telling me is that when Florida State turns the ball over a lot and does not make shots, we usually do not fare well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty high level analysis, and I know that people are going to have to take a while to wrap their heads around it. But that is but, what they yeah, pay yeah. you the big bucks for, sir. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think that's I think that's right. You're certainly right that this edition of the and make you know how many practices have they even had consecutively, right? Like how many times have they been able to play or practice two straight weeks of basketball with this this year with COVID? But this year's team. Um, a lot of Florida state teams commit a lot of dead ball turnovers, uh, the charges, the travels, the you're too big, and it's going to be a moving screen turnover. We see that a lot of years, Florida state typically is among the nation's leaders in sort of the non-steal turnovers. Um, this year there has been also a lot of just throw, throw it to the other team turnovers. Uh, and, and those are the ones that get you. I mean, we saw that tonight. I think MJ Walker grabs a rebound and tries to toss it ahead and he just throws it to Leaky Black. And and those are the ones that often result in, in you know, all of a sudden a five-point swing. Um, so, yeah, that that's going to be a big, a big thing. Do you have a prediction? I, I will say I agree that if we were playing UVA tomorrow, I would be predicting maybe even an eight to ten-point win. We, we have just started to shred – uh, UVA's defense and this year's UVA you know, edition of their defense is, is not even, you know, particularly impressive. Um, but we're not playing UVA. We are playing the four seed Georgia tech um, going, you know, it's, it's a rubber match here. Do you have a prediction? Well, I'm going to look at tonight's game as kind of a glorified practice, you know, Florida state, like you mentioned, it hasn't had a ton of practice lately. And, you know, so tonight they got in their reps they're gonna they're gonna look at a lot of film in the morning. They're gonna correct some correct some faults, and they're gonna go out. and They're gonna beat Georgia Tech, and I'll and I'll, I'll, I'll take like 70, 
four to sixty-seven or something. Um, I, I, I think Scotty Barnes is is uh, gonna have a good game. He's he's he got he got a he he almost had a great game tonight against North Carolina. He but then he kind of got a little soft there for a while. And if if he can just remember, you know, that he he's got that serial killer mentality when he when he wants it, then I, th- I think he has a big game tomorrow and and uh, you know kind of carries FSU to the win. I like it. I like it. And I am going to practice what my old man used to preach and, and try to speak some positivity into existence. I think, I think that they've, they've got a night to get the, the they kind of got themselves under it. Playing two times in two days is a lot better than three times in three days. I think a lot of these, you know, we've, we've played twice in three days before already this year. So I think that that's something that can be overcome, particularly with the adrenaline of an ACC championship game. And I'm going to say that Florida State puts 10 threes on the board tomorrow. I think Wyatt gets in the act. I think Polite hits a couple corner threes. I think Calhoun gets on the, on the board. I think MJ has a, nice, has a nice night from three as well. And I'm going to say that they ride those 10 threes to a 10-point victory. Give me 75 to 65 over the Yellow Jackets and ace and uh, and a second consecutive ACC championship for Florida State. I like it. I mean, we, we need to we need to refresh the pick of uh, Ham with a with a net around his neck, and uh, tomorrow is, is is the opportunity to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, before we go, uh, is there any did anything else from college basketball catch your catch your eye uh, today? Uh, perhaps catch an elbow uh, today yeah there were there were a few games there was uh florida what's his name um uh, omar Payne uh, inflicted omar, some pain. Omar Payne, yeah. yeah yeah with with the double elbow which you don't often see that that's that takes real commitment to to elbow the guy with your left arm and then turn around and, and get him with your right which was which was straight to the chin Mm-hmm. Um, so that, 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 that was, that was interesting to watch. Um, and then ba- Baylor lost. That was, they did. That's a, that was, it was just their second loss of the season. And, uh, um, the Oklahoma state has a guy, um, by the name of Kate Cunningham. Maybe, maybe you've never heard of him, uh, but my prediction is he's going to be pretty good at this whole, ba- this whole basketball thing in, in, in the future. He, he should I mean, if NBA teams are worth their salt of anything, right? You know, the scouts are worth anything right now. He he should absolutely be the number one pick. Lamelo Ball should have been the number one pick last year. I was I was fairly um, I don't know confident in that, and and he he has been doing well. Cade Cunningham is is on another level from Lamelo Ball, um, so he he should be the number one pick in the draft. And they're playing Texas, who advanced uh, to the finals of a after a, a forfeiture from Kansas. Uh, so that should be an interesting matchup. Um, Omar Payne, the, I that dude needs to be suspended for he shouldn't play in the NCAA tournament. That that if you've ever watched a game with me, a basketball or football game, friends can tell you I it, more than most I'm okay with I guess taunting i i think that uh, it is the opponent's job to stop you and i i don't think there is such a thing as running up the score i don't think there is such a thing as uh as celebrating too much after a big play i do think there is dirty 
play that has no place in the game. And, and the second elbow he sent back uh, to Fulkerson is one that should end his season, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm right there with you too on, on taunting. There's, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and listen to the Florida state game with headphones on because I'm pretty sure that Scotty Barnes turned to Dayron Sharp and called him little man, which, which was <laughs> kind of fun. So, yeah, I mean, sports at the end of the day, sports is entertainment. There's no difference between this and, and, you know, wrestling. I mean, we're here to be entertained, right. You know? And so, I mean, give me 1980s Florida State Miami football games as, as much as you can. Uh, I'm, I'm all here for it, but I am not here for vicious elbows to the side, to the temple of a player who's just running down the court. Um, so, yeah, that, that, was, that was a shame to see. I, I also will say, based on – it's not a shame to see, but based on the results that we're – Arkansas got a win today. Uh, looks like – I guess Southern Cal and Colorado are going to play each other tonight, but so one of them is going to get a win. I, there's no chance in my mind that Florida State can get a three seed. I just, I'll, I'll say that right now. No chance. Yeah, beating North Carolina kind of probably cemented us into the 4-5 game, which is not the outcome that you're looking for, but, you know, hey, whatever. I'd, ra- I'd, ra- I'd rather cut down nets than try to game the seed system. I, I agree, especially because, you know, you know, what if your one seed is, is a COVID forfeiture? So at this point, you don't even know. Um, and, and I was coming, coming into the season back in October, if you'd have told me ACC tournament title, ACC championship, because that is the ACC champion, and a Sweet 16 bid, I'd take that every time. You get a uh, massive March experience for guys like Anthony Polite, Sadar Calhoun, uh, you know, Balsha Kopravica, Wyatt Will, guys who are going to be on the team next year. You get that experience. You, you get that mental toughness that you build in March. And, and you also cut down nets and hang a banner. So I, I will take that every time. But yes, I, I believe that we are not going to fall to a six seed after winning today and after Villanova uh, losing yet again. And we are not going to rise to a three seed with the other results going on. So let's hope that we're in Illinois bracket, I guess. Yes. <laughs> or, or, or maybe Alabama, if they rise up to a one seed and mm-hmm. Illinois uh, loses. Yeah. Just, just stay out of, stay out of Gonzaga and Michigan's bracket and probably Baylor's bracket. And so we, we got a 25% chance. You know what? Roll the dice and see what happens. <laughs> All right. Well, we a uh, little programming note here probably won't come to you uh, win or lose tomorrow's game. It will we'll let people cut down the uh, nets and celebrate uh, in style. And then we probably will come to you after selection Sunday to have a little bit of an early preview on Florida State's first opponent. For Michael, I'm Matt. Go Knowles. <laughs>